This is an ABC podcast. Hello, my friend Sammy J here, and welcome to the f- Snack Pack. We are going to have a f- amazing time because we've got so much f- coming your way, and you f- are going to absolutely love every bit of it. Because you know what? Academics have proven what we've always known. It's really good to swear. Apparently, it gets out some emotions. It's a way of expressing ourselves in a safe environment. The fact that these f***ing words are quite precious and rare gives them extra gravitas and value. So it's not all bad. But everyone has their own rules, don't they? Maybe you got into trouble for swearing as a child. Maybe you're known as a bit of a potty-mouthed adult. Everyone will have their own algorithms and today we'll be celebrating those in f***ing style. My um, my dad, uh, you know, he, he, he swears occasionally, right? But whenever it comes near my mum, no swearing at all. No swearing in the house. But my mum, oh, my mum, she is explosive. Oh, my... Just wait till you get in the car with her and there's, a, there's you know, a slow Toyota Camry, no offense to the Camry drive, in front of it. Oh, my, a tirade is so unleashed. So your dad is protecting your potty-mouthed mum against his knowledge. Little does dad know that mum oh. is a explosive sort The Snack Pack. We'll also be talking to Alan Baxter, a horror author. What's it like writing not just one horror book, but heaps of them? And Emma Court is beaming in from New York City to talk about the mayor's battle on rats. All that is coming up. First, though, Ali McGregor is a singer, artist, creator, producer, someone who kept us all entertained during the dark days of lockdown, and now she's added another string to her bow. She's the creative director of Fluxus, brand new production company focused on bringing new operatic works into the world. And one of these works is going to be focused on the women and stories of Little Lon. That's Little Lonsdale Street in the CBD in Melbourne, which was once famous for the ladies of the night, so-called. Well, at the moment, that piece of work is nothing more than a twinkle in the eye of Ali McGregor. But let's find out how it's going to come to life. Welcome to the Snack Pack, Ali. I'm, I'm actually back hiding in my bathroom like I did when I chatted to you during lockdown because I, I have a sugared up child in my in my bed, so I'm trying to hide from her. Lock the door. It's a safe space. <laughs> Ali, I am so excited. So, Fluxus, you've started this, this production company, not just you, but yes. it's it's a, mm-hmm. a, an incredible uh, a feat to begin. But I really want to talk about this project that caught my eye about Little Lon. Mm. Tell us about this 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 idea, this this notion. Well, I had heard about um, Little Lon. There's a little section, many people who know the CBD will know that there's a little section and Little Lonsdale Street that was preserved when the new building went up and they had archaeologists and everyone, you know, look around and they decided that that space was, had a historical importance. So they didn't pull it down. So it's this, I think it's a gin distillery now called Little Lon and it's a little patch of of kind of ye olde Melbourne that's sort of stuck in in the middle of all this sort of futuristic building and I got really fascinated with that building and then every everything that um, they found about it and it was it was Melbourne's first red light district although that's an American term but mm-hmm. um, for want of a better term um, but they were all the brothels were female run that Madame Brussels people may have heard of. Um, she was a very famous brothel owner, but they all the brothels and the, all the women were working around there for themselves, and it was the only way that women 
could actually work for themselves and be sort of entrepreneurial. And they were quite well respected. They were friends with the police chief and, you know, the, you know, Madame Brussels' daughters went to sort of Melbourne Girls Grammar and and things like that. And it, everything changed in the 1890s when laws came in, sort of slightly more puritanical laws came in and, and, and the brothels all sort of went underground and became male-run, basically. But it was a really fascinating time, sort of 18... Sort of 60s, 1850s to 1890s, um, and start of Chinatown. Just a really vibrant um, place in Melbourne's and, history. And, and mm. well, and yeah, as you say, a huge slice of our history. And of course, history is often written by those in, in greater positions of power than a lot of these protagonists who we're discussing. So here you are choosing to give them a platform at last, Ali. How on earth is that going to happen? Where do you start trying to create? a new opera for the stage? Because I'm not being naive here. This might never happen. This is That's the work mm. of creative artists, isn't it? Um, the wonderful Barbara Minchington, who wrote a book called The Women of Little Lon, um, she's our historical consultant on it. So we need to work with her and get all the information on it. I've put together a creative team. Virginia Gay is writing the, the book, if you will, the, the words of Brilliant. this piece. Um, and many may know her recently from Cyrano mm -hmm. um, at MTC, which was extraordinary. And Victoria Falconer, who's the new artistic director of Hayes Theatre and the musical director, she's going to be looking at all the music. We're actually going to find music that they had sang in that era. Um, and, you know, the theatre was a big place. That's where you'd go and play your trade. So um, going to music halls and theatres was a big part of their lives. So that's, you know, where we're going to find the music. So then, yeah, we start getting the funding from government and philanthropy and crowdfunding, and and uh, that's what I'm in the process of doing now. Please tell me that you might include uh, one narrative element that includes the mystery of the Victorian parliamentary mace that was stolen in 1891, and some say it was never returned, but some say it did end up in, in Little Lon. Did it, Sammy? Yeah. Now, well, now it obviously does. Co-writing credit. Co-writing yeah. credit. <laughs> There are a lot of fantastic stories. There's this wonderful woman, Annie Britton, who, who was walking down wearing nothing but a sword um, down Collins Street singing at the top of her voice. No, a helmet and a sword. And, and when stopped by the police, um, it turns out she uh, made a bet with the local police chief and, and had lost and had to walk down <laughs> near naked Collins Street singing. The Snack Pack. My, um, my kids like to make up rhymes or make up songs or they see things on the internet that they then try and emulate and one of these was a Instagram video of a dog running around and a human had voiced the dog and it was very funny but there was one choice F-bomb in there and the girls had just learnt that off, off by heart and, and I had the well the choice between do I encourage creative expression and freedom or do I clamp down on the swearing the problem was they were using the swear word incorrectly they were putting a, a U after the word which didn't um, belong there and so I decided, uh, and my wife and I, I were in agreement, that we would allow them to do it. We just had to school them on the correct use of the word <laughs> so it didn't sound uh, saucier than intended. And so there began a sort of 10-minute lesson in the F-bomb to our seven-year-old, who is now equipped and armed to deploy it in context, as we stressed, and for now only in the course of creative pursuits. So a f*** yeah. Uh, well, look, I was raised in a very conservative household and uh, swearing was not okay. Um, uh, so, yeah, generally, I, I've avoided it. But um, now that I am a fully grown grammar nerd, I just think swear words are fun. I mean, they're, they're just part of our language. We're, we're lucky to have these colourful, exciting words. But I, I must admit, I really like the, um, the sort of fake ones. 
you know, uh, well, this is sort of a test for you, but, uh, yeah, you know, sweeps. Uh, what, what's she going to say? Sweeps. Uh, uh, or far out, Russell Sprout. Um, that's a favourite of mine. Alan Baxter is the author of many, many books like Ghost of the Black, Tales from the Gulp, Hidden City, Sallow Bend, Served Cold, Crowshine, Devouring Dark. Look, they all sound pretty horrific to me, but that's fair enough because he is the president of the Australian Horror Writing Association, which I must learn more about. Alan, are horror writers also, by definition, horrific people? In my experience, horror writers are among the nicest people in the world. I would probably say that anyway, but it's true. Is it a notion that you have to constantly dispel when people find out what you do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, people are always like, oh, I expected you to be... And you, you say, what, you know, dripping with blood or <laughs> fangs or something. But, it, yeah, we're just regular people writing dark stories. So what is it, what is it about the darkness that you are drawn to as an author? For, for me, it's, as far as I'm concerned, horror is the genre of honesty. It's uh, a lot of stories, and we need these stories, the ones with the happy endings and the resolution and, the, you know, those sort of things we're conditioned to expect. But real life isn't always like that. Um, and so horror can be a very honest genre in that respect. It doesn't always wrap up neatly. It doesn't always end well for everyone. And it gives us this sort of cathartic uh, process of looking at the dark in a safe environment of reading and um, processing those things. And, you know, for the same reason people ride roller coasters, it, it's a thrill to be scared. <laughs> so I'm really curious about not just you writing on your own as an author, creating these honest human tales, but then you've been able to find companionship in the Australian Horror Writing Association. When did you first become a part of it? Um, well, it's actually, we're, I mean, we are expanded the sort of remit to a degree. It's the Australasian Horror Writers Association now, and it was the Australian when I joined. Oh, okay. I don't remember how long ago, probably a decade ago. Um, and we sort of do our best to include New Zealand and the sort of general Australasian region now as well. Um, and it's, it's something that's been around for a long time and slowly going. America has the Horror Writers Association that's been around since, you know, for decades. Um, and sort of ours is the local regional version of that and it is exactly that a way to sort of connect with other people doing the same thing to talk industry to for opportunity but also just for the companionship of knowing other people out there writing can be a my wife calls my study the cave she's like oh you're going in the cave then <laughs> you sit on your own in the dark and you make stuff up so it's nice to have a connection with the outside world so when you come back from the cave you've just been talking about some sort of bloody or gory scene and then you just come out and have a nice cup of tea and just just chat you know do you, do you let on what you've just been inhabiting mentally well sometimes um and it's not always bloody and gory i mean it can be obviously a lot of the time horror can be just sort of disquieting or or psychological it's a broad church it's a massive range of what qualifies as horror from the sort of very subtle to the very intense um but i do sometimes have to sort of come out and take the dog for a walk on the beach for a bit of fresh air and sunshine and things just to just to kind of reset if you find yourself going into some dark places when you're writing well i understand it's taken you a little while but you've now decided to set a lot more of your work here in australia itself yeah i always included australia um to some degree i would have australian protagonists even if it was set in america and things like that mm -hmm. and you know a decade ago publishers were very much about oh, australia's a really hard sell um 
but these days that's not nearly so much true and some 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 of my most successful books are really australian in setting um and in language i'm i don't uh, you know we don't obviously don't caricature but i very much include australia now and, and things like the gulp and the fall are set in uh, a, a, a fictional australian small town and it is very unashamedly australian small town horror um and people really enjoy it which is awesome oh this is juicy this is full on the rats of new york are taking over the streets this is true this is not a fictionalized account so the mayor of new york eric adams has had some pretty choice words to say about it everyone that knows me they know one thing i hate rats well you know what we're going to kill rats well, the rats of New York might have something to say about it. I invited several rats in New York to come onto the snack pack, but they all refused to appear. So once again, it's left to the humans to discuss. And I'm joined now by a very fine human, a journalist with Bloomberg News, no less, over in New York, Emma Court. Emma, welcome to the snack pack. Hi, uh, thank you for having me on. I, I wish you could have had a, a rat on, I, I guess. <laughs> no, well, I mean, I don't know what they would say in the face of this pretty dramatic escalation. How's it going over you? I'm imagining you speaking to me surrounded by little claws and tails and almost drowning in the things, Emma. I'm actually cowering, cowering behind a, a giant wave of rats. So, <laughs> Is it as bad as, as the headlines might suggest? You know, uh, I think, I guess it depends on the what viewpoint you're coming to this from. So the city, you know, there have been many more complaints about rats, um, which is part, in part what the city is responding to. And there's been a push from this administration to, you know, kind of clean up the streets. Um, you know, from my perspective, and I've lived in New York City my whole life, like, you know, I've seen about as many rats as I usually see, but I think some of this may also have to do with, you know, during the pandemic, the, you know, where rats were living changed a lot. Um, since people have sort of resumed um, activity, they've had kind of a lot more space to roam. Um, and I think some of that is also, you know, a little bit of a perception thing, but there have definitely been more complaints about rats. And um, as you can see from that press conference, there's been a very kind of, uh, you know, Brigado uh, response from the administration. You know, we were in charge and we can take control of this issue. There's some context here, too, that the mayor um, is sort of famous for actually a different press conference um, in Brooklyn when he was in a prior position as Brooklyn Borough President. And he actually did a press conference where he um, had kind of like a rat trap that he was showing off and you know with reporters there actually and you can look this up but it, i don't suggest it it's very graphic and pretty gross oh. he had kind of a big bucket of dead rats that he was sort of like that they were sort of like ladling out and it was quite disgusting so, so he's, i he's, would not recommend it he's got four he's got form he's, he's got a known anti-rat agenda that he's been pursuing his whole career mm. Yeah, and to be fair, if you're going to be a New York City official, it's not a bad enemy. You know, I think we can all, you know, unite and perhaps not wanting rats up in our business, you know. Even when you said before you see the usual amount of rats, like, does that mean if you headed out today, you'd definitely see a rat or you might? Is it like a couple a week or is it heaps every day? <laughs> you know, I just, this raises the question of what in Australia is like a normal amount of rats to see. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I would say I probably see a rat on the street like once a month or something oh, like that's, not super frequently that's not so bad um i don't know is that yeah what's it like what's it like down under yeah i'd say you know probably one rat every two months so I mean, we're doing better than you but it's hardly like life-changing is it 
I mean, I think like the wider context here is the mayoral administration. You know, Eric Adams took office this year. He's really been looking to make his mark. And, you know, his slogan, you know, I don't know how familiar folks over there are with this, but he, you know, he leads all these press conferences with the slogan that's get stuff done. Well, there it is. A quick pod's a good pod. Thank you once again for your company, for tuning in to the Snack Pack. Please remember to share it with your friends if you enjoy it or give it a rating in whichever store you get your podcasts from. Special thank you to Ross Kavanagh, my sound wizard, and Chris and Harriet, my beautiful breakfast radio family on ABC Radio Melbourne, where you can hear me every weekday from 5.30 via the ABC Listen app. And if you do listen to that show regularly, you'd be familiar with the dulcet tones of Brad Arnold, my fine traffic correspondent. Well, it's become something of a tradition when the Melbourne Cup horse race rolls around for Brad to do a phantom race call. And the challenge I set him this year was to incorporate as many Melbourne transport-related references as possible. So I'll leave you with Brad's phantom race call for the 2022 Melbourne Cup. And they're just about set now for the 2022 ABC Traffic Melbourne Cup. Just a few more traffic-related horses to go in. RDO for the construction industry is a scheduled scratching and not running today. Uh, but there's the top weight in dual carriageway using up two stalls. Moves in. Montague Street Bridge moves in. Backing up quickly after a hit out just two days ago and a, and a hit about six hours ago. Overhide trucks staying well clear for now and they're nearly ready. There's been a lot of money for work from home. Moving in. Just waiting on hook turn. Looking nervous. Starting to sweat up. Just waiting on the green light from the starter. They're away in racing. And Jackknife has gone straight right into one of the clerks in the course and he's out of the race. The rest away okay. Level crossing removal was away quickly. Flooded Road has surprised them all though. Hits the lead but oh Flooded Road has just stopped but it looks like they've given him a wide berth and gone around. Great work safety first as they head up towards the first turn. It's going to be Pikau the early leader. Gridlock not far away working hand in hand with Pikau. Bingle and nose to tail in behind them set to pounce. Roadwork seems to be everywhere. Speed down to 40 you can't park there. Hook turn still in the middle of the intersection along with breakdown and no fuel. Caught behind the pack, nowhere to go. As they head around the back, it's peak hour in front. Slows them down after a frantic start. Gridlock starting to put the pressure on too. Trains and trams are running well. Safe distance has gone wide. Montague Street Bridge biding his time, looking to make an impact at the end. Around the final turn they go. The piece starting to quicken with dual carriageway now in front. Hits the lead. Nose to tail, stuck in behind them as they head into the straight. And here's trucks lost its load, starting to clean up down the outside. Awful run in behind it. And look at Bingle. Bingle goes bang and is out of the race. There's trouble here too with nose to tail. He's going right up its backside. The rest look to get around okay, especially safe distance. Good job. 200 to go. And here's bike lane. Easy to spot in the green silks up the inside. Moves up alongside dual carriageway. You can't park there on the move now down the outside. And here comes Montague Street Bridge. Low but quick down the middle of the track. Overhide truck looking to get through. I'm not sure what he's thinking. He's had plenty of warning. Oh, but Montague Street Bridge has stopped overhide truck in its tracks at the three-metre mark. That's opened the door for the others. And from out of nowhere, work from home has missed all the drama. Runs right over the top of them. Work from home wins it. In front of breakdown and no fuel. Who got going at the end? Next with safe distance. Gridlock and Pickow eased up at the finish after the running of the 2022 ABC Traffic Melbourne Cup. Oh! Bradford Arnold, take a bow. What a finish.